Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Anchor. How are we doing this morning? We doing okay? Okay, all right. Good morning, live stream. Uh, those of us that are tuning in online, good to have you guys with us as well. Hey, we're in this new teaching series called Stir Up. It's a two-week teaching series, very short, but the heart of this teaching series is to stir up in us a hunger uh, and a heart for God. And we're gonna be doing that over these next two weeks by looking at Romans chapter eight and talking about some things that are very simple but profound. Simple as in like, we may have learned them when we started to follow Jesus. And maybe if you're in this room and you're not already a Jesus follower, maybe you're even aware of some of the things, some of the language and some of the terms and some of the ideas that we'll be talking about. But here's the thing, when you look down deep into these essential and seemingly simple things, they stir up us a faith of why we're even here doing this in the first place. Sometimes we can forget about some of the things that are the most essential. And so next week, my friend, Pastor Andre, who leads a church called Blessed Temple that meets here at 2 p.m. He's going to be teaching um, about the Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit. And um, let me just tell you, um, my friend Pastor Andre is used to uh, a lot of, let's just say, amens and interactions. So just like practice your amen voice for next week. Uh, It will be a blessing to Pastor Andre. Um, Okay, uh, so my first car was not a car. It was a truck. 1976 Custom Deluxe. My friends in high school always made fun of me. They're like, Brian, this is neither custom nor deluxe. Uh, But I loved it. And some of you guys have memories of your first car, that iconic first car, the way it smelt, the way it drove, the, 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 the stereo system that you used all of your summer job. You know, you, you put it into a stereo system and your parents were like, are you sure you want to spend it on this? And you're like, whatever, dad, I totally know this is what I want. This Alpine deck is what I want. Uh, custom deluxe. It was a step side truck, and so it had the kind of little inset things and a wood bed. It was it was awesome. My friends teased me, but it was awesome. It was like rust red, if that's a color. And I had a gun rack in the back, which I always kept my trusty umbrella there. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you're in Kirkland, the umbrella is more helpful than the gun in the gun rack. Let's be honest. But uh, you know, the one of the problems, one of one of the problems uh, with this custom deluxe truck was that it never, it like had such a hard time passing emissions. Uh, do we still have to do emissions tests? Are we still doing those things? I haven't had a car. I haven't done it in a while. So maybe that's something I need to check into actually. Uh, but I could never pass emissions with this, with this truck. I, I probably took it into the emissions testing place like six or so times. And they would always say, I think they'd probably learn my name eventually. Like, hey, Brian, sorry. Yeah, hey, see you again. Do you want a, the punch card? You know, uh, it's gonna have to, you're gonna have to try again. And I, I remember one of my friends somewhere in there in those times said, you know, all right, you know, the way you do it, Brian, is that you take the lid off of the air filter, you know, cover, and you just take the air filter out and you'll be able to pass emissions. They don't tell you that in driver's ed, but that's the way you do it. And I'm like, great. And so I remember after work at the Brown Bag Cafe, I got literally inside the engine compartment because there was just that much space. 292 straight six, come on, it was, this was, this was old, old trusty. Uh, but I was a lot of space in this engine. So I climbed in there, I took the air filter cover off and I, I, I unscrewed it and then I did 
did this thing that I regret. I dropped accidentally the wing nut inside of the carburetor. Now, um, if you know anything about cars at all, you know that that's a bad deal. You don't do that. The wing nut in the carburetor, that's the wrong place for it. Uh, So it fell right inside um, of one of the, the cylinders. And from that point on, my truck had a noise. Um, had this, had this noise. So every time you're driving it around, and and um, it, you know, it'd make this noise go click, 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 click. And um, you know, especially if you had a date, they were nervous about that noise, and 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 they were actually nervous about you when you said, "No, nah, it's a big deal. It always makes that noise." You know, it didn't solve the problem. It just made it worse. Uh, but when you drove fast, and I, by fast, I mean like you know, 45 miles an hour, um, it would make this noise a little faster, you know, click, 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 you know, real quick, and, and I would, I had all these solutions to try to get over this noise, um, uh, some more effective than others, I, like, my first one was I would just turn the volume up on the music, um, anybody ever tried that trick, uh, where it just, so it seems like it solves the problem, because you can't hear it, you know, out of sight, out of mind, um, let me just tell you, you know, just if, if anyone's currently trying that, it's not an effective solution, okay? The other one is, I remember walking into Shucks. It wasn't yet O'Reilly's. Anybody remember that? Anybody, uh, this is testing your age. Anybody remember when it was Shucks? Okay, we have some people in the house tonight. All right, I mean, this morning, whatever it is. Uh, so Shucks, there is this advertisement for this magic oil. Now, never buy anything that advertises itself as a magic oil. That's like snake oil, you know, that's the whole idea. Uh, so, but it was like, you know, cures, uh, cures unstoppable noises, you know, lubricates the blah, blah, blahs. And I'm like, okay, the unstoppable noises. I probably need to get this magic oil. So I remember putting some magic oil in and um, that, that, this noise was still there. Um, it just was a little bit more oily. It was like more of an oily noise, you know? So like, like the thing is that I learned is that like there was nothing I could do with, you know, like turning the noise up to try to ignore it, turning the music up to ignore it, putting a little oil in the kind of in the gas tank or in the oil, you know, whatever. There's nothing I could do. Don't worry. I know where the oil goes. Don't worry. Um, There's nothing I could do to take care of this noise short an engine overhaul. The problem was deep inside and any topical thing, uh, any trying to ignore it, that never, it didn't solve the problem. In fact, the way we finally fixed it is my dad and I had a summer project where we had to take the whole top of the engine, the head of the engine off, and resurface the piston heads that had been damaged by this wing nut. It took us going down inside to make the problem disappear. Every one of us here, every one of us, in fact, everyone on the planet has a problem that's somewhat similar to that old truck. We have something down deep inside of us that is not right left to our own devices. And we can try to turn the music up in life to try to ignore it, or we can try to use some topical quick fixes to try to like get around it, but none of those things work. We need in our life, by our, left to our own devices, an overhaul from the inside out. 
Scripture says something inside of us is broken and it can't be fixed by pretending it doesn't exist or the topical fix left to our own to sell ourselves. We need an overhaul. And I'm so confident of this, I want to try an exercise here. Now, last week, I tested you guys. I asked you to take a wallet, your wallet out and hold it in front of you and then give it to your neighbor. And that, I know that tested some of you, but we're going to do another one because I just love pushing it. I just love pushing it, guys. So if you would, uh, raise your hand in the last month if you have made a decision or done something that you have not been proud of. Raise your hand, raise your hand. All right, there's like seven honest people so far. Here's the thing, if you're with somebody that you're married to you're, and you're not raising your hand, they're probably elbowing you right now. So let's keep our hands up, keep our hands up. If you've done something in the last month uh, that you have not been proud of. Now this is like, let me be honest, this is a classic pastor trick because if you're not raising your hand, then you feel like you're arrogant, so you have to raise your hand. Okay, so let's keep those hands raised. Keep those hands raised. Raise them high. Don't be afraid. Raise them high. Come on, let's do this, you guys. Now, for some of us, we didn't need to think too hard. It wasn't the last month. It was like the last week. And there's maybe five or six things. And for some of us, maybe it was even on the way to church. And that's what your spouse is elbowing you about. You know, that, that was a red light. That was a red light. Uh, well, here's the thing. Keep our hands up. Keep our hands up. Let's now, let's look around. Look around. We got two hands up. There we go. You're making up for some of the people that don't have their hands up. <laughs> Carrying the world for us. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. As we keep our hands up, we look around that this is every one of us. Every one of us has uh, this problem down deep inside where we make decisions that we're not proud of. Now you can put your hands down. But here's the thing. Every one of us not only does that, every one of us is in need of a savior, both of these realities. Now, this, this is actually a powerful truth because typically we think of sin as something that is out there, that somebody else is doing, or maybe somebody is doing to me. But scripture reverses it. It says, yeah, it is out there, but it's in here. And when you understand that, sin doesn't become like a game of like, I'm worse than and I've got to be better than, or I'm better than you and you've got to rise up and be as good as me. Sin actually levels the playing field. We recognize that it affects scientists and conspiracy theorists, librarians and lunch ladies, conservatives and liberals. It affects every single one of us. We all have sinned and we all need a savior. Levels the playing field. But so just to start off, it's important for us to understand what sin is. We're talking about sin today. And as this is the, pa the passage of scripture is talking about it, let's, it's important for us to understand like what sin is. Scripture in the Old Testament uses this word um, for sin that actually means missing the mark. So you think about like a bow and arrow. Don't worry, those in the back, I'm, this isn't, there's nothing real here. Uh, but like a bow and arrow, like if it, if it moves, if it, if it doesn't hit the target, if it like goes off of the target, uh, like it does every time I shoot a bow and arrow, then that's like, it's missing the mark. And so scripture is describing sin as something where it's like, here's God has set a target. He's, he's drawn the target and sin is missing that. The target is what it looks like to honor God, to live a life that of, of reverence before God and obedience before God and love towards others. And sin is going to the left or to the right of that. Maybe, you know, some of us, like, you know, in the world, you know, we, we, we shoot and then we kind of draw a circle around, you know, where we aim. And we're like, oh, see, there, I hit the mark, you know. 
But scripture says that God's already drawn a mark. And that's the standard and that's the decision about what is sin and what's not. If you look throughout the entire Bible, there's this basic idea that sin is a conscious departure from the will and the ways of God. And as Cornelius Plantinga describes it, sin hurts other people and grieves God, but it also corrodes us. Sin is a form of self-abuse, Plantinga says, which is important for us to understand because a lot of times if you're familiar with church, if you've been around church, you know that sin is like an offense to God or, or sin sometimes will harm other people. Oftentimes it does. Uh, but we often don't understand that sin actually harms ourself, that it actually corrodes and erodes our own humanity, which actually makes intuitive sense when you think about it because if God has created us, then the way of flourishing is living in alignment with God because he's the creator. And the way to actually diminish our flourishing, diminish the shalom, diminish even our humanity is to live out of alignment with how God has created us. Sin is missing the mark. It affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with others. And it actually affects our relationship with ourselves. Here's a... Um, what Paul has to say in Romans chapter eight, verses one and two. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news. Um, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now we'll stop there. Um, but I just want to point out like, this is like such good news because oftentimes we, you know, like, like, like we do something wrong and that stays on, on us. It affects us. And we start feeling like we have self-condemning voices that keep us from moving forward. They trap us in the past. They keep us from being present and they keep us from what God is inviting us to in the future. But Paul here at the beginning, he says, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, which is great news. But here's the thing, before we appreciate the good news, like to really understand the good news, we have to understand why it's good news. And to understand why it's good news, we have to understand first the bad news. See, at the end of this passage, he says, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. Again, good news, but the idea that we are set free means that we were once held captive to it that we are once held captive to sin. It actually is like a, you know, a default setting. Some of you, you know, you, maybe you did the upgrade recently and you have these, this phone that has these default settings. And if you want to change it, you have to figure out wherever the setting is and it'll take you an hour and you eventually just leave it and get used to it because you don't want to change it. But scripture is saying that we have this actually default setting towards sin down deep within us. Like the truck that needs the overhaul. We can't, like we, we're, we're, we're in this situation it's perplexing, challenging. Paul says like we were captive to it. My brother is two years younger than me and um, he's one of those younger brothers that's bigger than me, you know? Um, he's stronger than me. It, it, like I can tell you when it happened. It was like sophomore year in high school. I was running cross country and trying to learn how to do 360 flips and my brother was taking creatine and benching 300 pounds. And, and so like, so from that point on, like uh, there's like, I was less interested in, in fighting him, you know, that brotherly wrestling. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, in fact, 
fact, I can actually pin it to one point in time. There was a disagreement that blossomed into an all-out brotherly, affectionate brawl. And um, my brother pinned me. And um, he had me there on the ground. And I had to say this totally humbling thing. said, Patrick, would you just let me up? I I give up. We never had any fights from that point on. Um, I don't know what happened, but I had to do this thing. Maybe you've been pinned by a brother. Maybe you did wrestling here. What Paul is saying is that sin pins us. It has us pinned. Like it, like there's, like there's, there's, like we can't escape it. I don't know about you, but like I, when I'm pinned, whether wrestling or more metaphorically, like I squirm. Anybody squirm when they're pinned? Anybody try to find their way out of it? I'm a big, big squirmer. You know, one of the ways we squirm uh, when it comes to like sin and trying to evade and escape the pin that sin has us in is through what could be called legalism. Here's the definition of legalism. Legalism is going past what God asks of us to prove our own righteousness as a way of trying to save ourselves. So we're pinned by sin and we're thinking like, no, I don't like this. I'm trying to, I'm going to find my way out of it. I'm going to do all the right things in all the right order to impress God so that, so that he knows that I'm right. And I don't actually really don't need him because I did it all right without him. That's what legalism is. That's squirming, trying to get out of the pin without, uh, by ourselves and by our own strength. And then there's pleasing and appeasing, another way to squirm. Psychologists will tell you that like one of the effects of shame in a relationship is trying to please and appease the person who is the source of shame in your relationship. Now, it's important to note the person that is causing shame in the relationship that is provoking it in you, they might not be doing it intentionally. They, it just might be happening uh, because of something in your past. It's triggering something within you. And, but one of, the de- one of the things that we do when we're experiencing this is like pleasing and appeasing the person. Why? Because we're trying to avoid the experience of shame. This is another thing that sometimes happens when we're, we're pinned by sin and we, we're trying to please and appease, whether it's ourselves or our concept of God or somebody like in a religious setting, we're trying to please and appease, we're trying to do all the things, but meanwhile, sin has us pinned and we can't get out of it through our own strength. There's no thing that we can do by our own strength. Another might be performing, which is if we just say the right things and we post the right things and we do the right things and we show how right we are, then people might know that we are right. All of this is what I would call the earning approach. We're Sin has us pinned and we're trying to earn our way out of this pin that it has us in. So the, the thing that all of us have to do is set out on a journey of like overcoming earning, of overcoming earning. Check this out. Paul goes on and in verse three, he says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. And we'll stop there for a second. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Verse three. Paul is saying this, the law was powerless. Now, what is the law? The law was given by God to Israel in the Old Testament so that Israel might live a life of holiness towards God and show the nations everywhere, everyone around them what it looks like to live a life of holiness to God, to be a light to the nations. Except Israel could not 
live according to the law. They kept breaking these commandments. Scholars have looked through the Old Testament. They found 613 commandments and Israel could not obey all of these commandments no matter how hard they tried. And so Paul is saying the law was a standard of what righteousness was, but it was powerless to actually get people to live up to that standard. It was a good standard. It was the bullseye, but it did not empower people to live according to it. So Paul's saying that, 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 that was, the law was powerless to do, uh, that, to, to provide the way out of the pin. This, this, it was powerless to give us the, it put us in a right relationship with God. We still stayed on the mat pinned. It didn't solve the earning approach. It didn't solve the solution. It wasn't a solution. And Paul goes on and says, God did this. Ultimately, he found the way forward. He, did the, he, we, he gave us the way forward, not by the law, but by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay. What Paul's saying there is that the law could not get us out of the pin that sin had us in. So what did God do? God sent his son who took on our likeness, who stepped into our world to bring us out of the pin that sin had us in, to bring us into freedom, to help us find our way forward to save us. Now think about, it's important to note, like just to spend some time on this because this is like incredibly important. So like just, let's ask some questions. When did God send his son? You know, did God wait for us to like get a B average on all the moral behaviors and to try to like, you know, like get close enough? When did God send his son? You know, there's the Hitch law, you know, the, with, with Hitch, the movie, Will Smith. Where it's like, you know, you want to find out if like, if the girl likes you, you go 90% of the way in there. And then like, if the, she goes the rest of the 10%, then you know, she likes you. If she doesn't go to the rest of the 10%, there's some people that really like this. Um, <laughs> if there's some people that go, if, if, if the girl doesn't go to the 10%, then you, it's just an awkward situation. You back away really quickly. Did God use the hitch principle? Like, hey, if they can meet me 90%, then I'm maybe I'll meet them 10, Yeah. Now, like how did God send his son? He sent, like while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in a mess, while we were pinned, Christ showed up and moved into our lives. He moved into the manger. He moved into the cross. Where did God send his son? Right in the middle. How did he send his son? Fully and completely. He didn't come with a megaphone at a distance saying, I love you. Peace. That's not how God moved in right close into the neighborhood. You could say, like, looking at the, how God sent his son, when God sent his son, the qualities of God sending his son, you could say that we were pre-loved. Pre-loved. That is that we were loved before we did anything worthy, so to speak, of love. Why? Because scripture says God is love. 
So God pre-loved us. He loved us before we did anything right. We did not have to earn anything to be a recipient of his love because God loves us. We are pre-loved by God. And here's the good news. When you are pre-loved, you don't have to perform. When you're pre-loved, you don't have to perform. There's this quote from Dallas Willard, uh, a writer that we like a lot here at Anchor, and he says, grace is not opposed to effort, it's just opposed to earning. And so what he's saying, he's saying the earning is trying to use legalism, it's trying to appease and please, it's, it's trying to you know, perform to try to get someone's applause or to get someone's like you or to get God's approval. But grace is actually God meeting us before we have done everything perfect or in the right way and saying, I love you regardless, you are pre-loved. But grace is not opposed to effort. Here's, here, let me explain this. Here's what anxious earning looks like. Anxious earning is if I bring flowers home, maybe my spouse will love me. But grace-based effort is this. I love my spouse so much that I'm going to seek to demonstrate that love by bringing flowers home. Do you see the difference there? So regarding our relationship with God, anxious earning is if I read my Bible and pray enough, then God will accept me. That's anxious earning. But grace-based effort is because God has accepted me totally and unconditionally with his radical love, I want to know him more. So I will pray and read scripture to know him more. Do you see that difference? It's this, the difference is called the gospel. One way is a religion that actually leads to death. It leads to overwork and fatigue and spiritual exhaustion. And the other is a way that leads to actual life where God, the God who loves us has actually, you can, we, we, he's bringing us out of this pin that we've been in by sin and leading us forward towards freedom. And when we take his hand and receive what he has done as he has taken on the full nature and full weight of our sin on his shoulders, and, and, and given us the full measure of his righteousness by his work on the cross, when we accept that message into our soul, when that message settles down deep, then we set on this journey of, of experiencing the Spirit, of walking with Jesus and experiencing the Spirit. In fact, all of next week, I mentioned, I think Pastor Andre is gonna be talking about life in the Spirit but Paul goes on and he says in verse nine, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed God's, uh, the spirit of God lives in you. There's this talk of these two realms, like realm of the spirit and realm of the flesh. And the word flesh is a code, like a word Paul's using, which just basically means sinful nature. I love this idea of like this transferring from the realm of, this, of sin and brokenness into this realm of the spirit. It's helpful for me because it's like, this is God saying, you, you don't live according to the script anymore. There's a new way of doing life. Years ago, I was a chaplain at a residence hall on the campus of University of British Columbia. I, um, 
uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how they do it in Canada. Well, I was like University of British Columbia, but I was a, I was a chaplain and it was, it was a residence hall. You know, they somehow some arrangement with, with faith and this school worked out, but it uh, doesn't quite work out like that in the States. But um, I, I was the chaplain and basically my job was like to help people move in and move out and be nice to people. And if they wanted to pray with them, I, I would pray, but it was basically just being nice to them. And I was studying, working on my master's in theology. And, and at one point, um, one of the director of the residence hall said, hey, um, this person's moving out. And this person had a reputation in the residence hall I was helping, I was, I was a chaplain at, of being a hoarder. And she had been in this residence hall somehow for 10 years. I don't know how it worked out like that, but she'd been in there for 10 years. And I'd never been into her, her, her uh, apartment, but I remember walking in for the first time and being like two things, like completely overwhelmed and filled with compassion as there were stacks of like old coupon books, like on top of each other, all the way up to the ceiling, like around the wall. There was like stacks of VCRs and like it was 2006. We were done with VCRs at this point, uh, you know, but there were stacks of them, stacks of vinyl records. I know some of you guys are into vinyl, but this is not the ones you want, you know, and it was just kind of all these different stacks. And it was like basically like this maze that you had to walk through to get into her house and around her apartment. And I remember as I continued to walk in, I'm like, am I, are we really moving all this stuff to the... And so over the next few hours, um, you know, she started, she was working over there, loading up stuff, you know, over there. And I was over here and I, I grabbed this black garbage bag. Um, and I probably should have talked to her before doing this, but I just started taking some of these coupon books and putting them in this black garbage bag. And just, and she came up to me and she goes, wait, wait, you know, I still want those, right? And I remember like looking at the coupon and I'm like, these, they're, they're expired. They're not going to save you any money, you know, like, and she goes, no, these are mine. And I'm like, you're going to a new place. This is a new, op it's an opportunity for a new start. We don't have, you don't need these things anymore. You don't need these things. You don't need these things. Right. The more I thought about it, I'm like, this is, Jesus is transferring us from this realm marked by brokenness. Paul calls the realm of the flesh into the realm of the spirit. And a lot of times we like, we have these little things that we've relied on or we think have defined us or we think of like God's does a sense of joy and we're trying to smuggle these things into this new realm, into this new address. And Jesus comes up to us and says, you don't need those things anymore. Those things that defined you over here, they only confine you here. They keep you from actual true life. You don't need those things. In the spirit, in the realm of the spirit that is like we're, we're off the mat. We're not pinned by sin anymore. They only, the things that once kind of like were things that maybe we thought we were defined us, they just confine us in this new space. Jesus is saying, we don't need those things. This is a mark by experiencing the spirit means letting go of the things that kept us, that kept us there on the mat, that defined the life of the realm of the flesh and letting go of those things as we give the spirit more and more control. Paul goes on in the rest of this passage um, and the band can come up at this point. He says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 
But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And check this out, verse 11, it says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. What is Paul saying? He's saying, expect resurrection. Expect resurrection. When we've taken his hand and, we say, and we're coming up off the mat, sin no longer pins us. We're moving from the realm of brokenness, the realm of sin into the realm of the spirit. Like Jesus is saying that like the things that you thought were dead, the things that you thought wouldn't come alive, they come alive when you walk with me. When you walk with Jesus you're, and you experience the spirit, there are things that grow up. The green comes in areas where you thought there would never be life. He's saying expect resurrection. If the spirit that brought Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us, we can look forward with anticipation in the future. We can, there might be hard times, there might be difficult times, but we have a sense of anticipation because the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. So we should be expectant. We should be expectant. And we should be thankful. Because God didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. He showed up in our mess to bring us out of our mess so that he might transform our lives. So we might not be living according to things of, hey, I guess God, I gotta turn the volume up to pretend the sin thing isn't there so I can ignore it and numb myself out. And so I don't have to be, you know, like we're not playing according to that script anymore. The things that defined us only confine us in this new realm. And I just wanna say some of us in this room right here, maybe, maybe haven't said, yes to Jesus, haven't made that step and we've been kind of interested. Maybe somebody online right now is like kind of like a link was shared with you from a friend. And I just want to say like Jesus is there right now saying you don't have to let sin pin you. You don't have to let the brokenness of your life have the last word. You can walk with me and experience freedom. That's the invitation. Here's the thing. It begins with a simple yes taking his hand, getting off the mat and going forward. I love uh, that Jesus in the last supper, he took his disciples, he, goes, he wanted to give them a tangible, touchable, smellable reminder of his love. And so he said, hey, this bread, it's my body, it's given for you for the forgiveness of sins. He took the cup and he says, this cup it's my blood, it's shed for you. It's the new, new covenant for the forgiveness of, of sins. And so as long as you get together, do this in remembrance of me, it's like Jesus says, I know how forgetful for you are. And so I'm giving you this reminder that's tangible and touchable and tasteable so you can be like reminded with all of your senses that I love you. That's why we do communion each week because it's easy to forget that God loves us. And he meets us right there while we're pinned, brings us up, takes us forward and tells us, expect resurrection. There's prayer available on both sides here. Uh, take advantage of prayer. There's some of us in here that have prayer needs. And when you have a prayer need, you should get prayer for that need. That's how it works out. But in this next song, you're invited to come forward for communion at any point. Come for prayer. It is for you. So let's sing. Let's lean in to what God has for us. Why don't you invite stand and I'll pray.
God, we pray that you might be the door opener, that you might bring healing in this place, even right now, for those of us that are living according to a performance-based religion where we're seeking to appease and appease and squirm our way out and of legalism and help us just to say, I'm pinned and I need you. For those of us that are trying to smuggle in things from uh, the realm of sin into this realm of the spirit, help us just to relinquish our grasp knowing that you will lead us and you are good. And for those of us that are wondering, looking forward, if there's good things in our future, help us to remind us, remind us with your words, expect resurrection. We pray these things in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus.